Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, a podcast where we explore the origins and development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. This week we are doing issue 186 of The Flash, which was published on the 16th of January 1969. We're doing this one because it features the return of another Golden Age DC Comics superhero. It's the return of Sargon the Sorcerer, making his first appearance since the Golden Age. Who? Who? I shall do my best to tell you who. I have in my hands here my handy, heavily spine-rolled copy of issue 135 of GI Combat, cover dated May 1969. And it has one of those very helpful text page fact files that are all the rage at this point Uh in DC Comics. Look forward to the one that's in issue 10 of the Spectre, listeners, I'll tell you. This handy fact file gives a little bit of information. Sargon the Sorcerer first appeared in All-American Comics number 26, dated May 1941. He appeared in All-American all the way up until issue 50, and then he swapped over to Comic Cavalcade, where he ran from issue 3 to number 6, and then he popped over to Sensation Comics for a couple of comics, and he then made another appearance in All-American Comics before he made an appearance in issue 14 of Comic Cavalcade. And he then made regular appearances from issue 52 of Sensation Comics all the way through to issue 83, and apparently he wasn't in issue 78, so if you want to collect every single appearance of Sargon, you can leave out issue 78. And it says here that the Sorcerer's farewell appearance was a one-shot feature in issue number 37 of the Golden Age Green Lantern magazine. Mm. The only cover appearance that Sargon made in the whole of the Golden Age was in the cover of the 1944 big All-American comic book, which I'm sure you're very familiar with, Peter. No. It's the one with the little kid standing looking up at the poster with all the superheroes on it, and he's sort of going, wow. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Um, of course you're familiar. Of course you know it. Of course you know it. <laughs> Fact file number six continues. In a way, there were really two different Sargon, the Sorcerer strips, during the Golden Age, although both feature the same character. The original series of Sargon tales appeared during the years 1941 through 1944. In this first series of stories, Sargon primarily used his mystic powers, often in secret, to combat ordinary run-of-the-mill hoodlums and crimes. That's something that Peter's pointed out many times. There weren't many supervillains as such in the olden days. Mm-hmm, true. The strip was stopped for a year and then was revised, given a new look storyline, and this second series was handled with more emphasis on the fantastic and with more humour. How Sargon gained his magical powers was explained in All-American Comics number 26. In 1917, the noted archaeologist Richard Biddle Sargent uncovered the fabled Ruby of Life, whose 4,000-year-old history was shrouded in mystic legend. Returning to the United States with the results of his excavation, the archaeologist gave the ruby to his wife as a gift. As the years passed, the sergeants had a son, who they named John. Although his parents did not know it at the time, fate was to favour young John Sargent by conspiring to make the Ruby of Life, now worn as a pendant by John's mother, the first object baby John was to see or touch. Ah. John grew up to follow in his father's archaeological footsteps and as a young man managed to find a key to deciphering the cuneiform writing on the objects that were unearthed along with the Ruby of Life. The translated message explained that if the Ruby of Life was the first object a baby consciously saw and touched, that baby would have a power over whatever he touched during his life. Remembering that, as a child, the jewel had always fascinated him, John held the ruby in his hand and, following the translated instructions, recited a special incantation over it. He soon discovered that anything he touched, people, animals, even inanimate objects, were compelled to obey his spoken commands. Deciding to use those newfound powers for good... God bless him. John Sargent took the cover identity of a stage magician to disguise his true abilities of Ledger Domain. 
He took the name of Sargon, a priest-king of the ancient people who first discovered the mystic properties of the Ruby of Life, and thus magically armed, Sargon fought crime, secretly at first, but eventually open as his fame spread. The next paragraph reads, The turning point in the strip came in All-American Comics number 70 when Maximilian O'Leary, Sargon's assistant and self-appointed manager, was introduced to the series. Now, he's obviously another comedy cartoon sidekick. Ah, of course. Added for comic relief. However, whereas many a comical relief character was often inane and soon became more of a hindrance to a strip than a help, somehow Max worked. Perhaps it was just that Sargon had always needed someone who constantly needed his magical aid, or perhaps it was only Max's simple, good-natured, innocent character and willingness to help anyone in trouble that turned an average strip into a lively and interesting feature. Fact File 6 concludes, There were one or two other changes made in the strip, including several changes of writers and artists, and the addition of a regular villainess, the Blue Llama, the Queen of Black Magic, Mm. but even all this revamping wasn't enough to save the six-page feature from the eventual comic book limbo that became the fate of so many secondary characters during the closing years of the 1940s. Peter, say, when did you first encounter Sargon the Sorcerer? I think it was in the Whatever Happened to Sargon the Sorcerer backup in DC Comics Presents. Interesting. Yes, what about yourself? I have a feeling it was in an early issue of Young All-Stars in one of the Ah. panels, big full-page panels, when they all stood in a line and were identified. He probably stood next to Greg Sanders and Terry Sloan or something like that, you know. I'm pretty sure that was it. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. This issue that we're doing also features quite an important Flash villain who we've not talked about on the podcast yet. Ah, yes. The Reverse Flash himself. The Reverse Flash himself, yes. He's going to pop up a couple more times in the podcast, obviously. Oh, yes. Quite a few, huh? Uh-huh. Made his first appearance in issue 139 of The Flash, published in July 63. When did you first encounter him, Peter? I think it was read right about issue 280. It was a Don Heck illustrated issue, and it mm-hmm. was part of an ongoing saga at the time in Flash, which we will be discussing much later on in the podcast. Yeah, I think that's when I first encountered him as well. It's a very memorable purple cover of Barry chasing after him. Mm-hmm. And their red and yellow costumes contrast marvellously with the, the purple background and, and with each other. So yes, we'll be Absolutely. we'll be talking about that storyline a bit further forward in the future. But of course, we're not going to spoil the details of that just now. because you know, No, not yet. not yet. I'm sure most listeners will know about that story, but we're, we're not going to be quite so blunt or explicit. So anyway, <laughs> shall we get on with Flash issue 186? Let's do so. Awesome. Do you want to tell everyone about the cover? This is probably the most horrific cover we've had so far. Yes. Artistically, it's wonderful, but thematically, it's horrible. Mm. We have two kids looking down into a gaping hole, into a cave or cavern or something. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of birds flying behind them. Mm -hmm. And inside this gaping hole or cavern, we see a skeleton clad in the torn costume of the Flash. The Flash is dead. Yep. And one of the kids says, So, that's what happened to the Flash. Yep. It's horrible. I read about this time, there's several similar themed covers to the Flash with really just horrible imagery that you just wouldn't make you want to buy the comic because <laughs> it just looks so grim. So, <laughs> I think it's very enticing. And if I think if I saw it in the rack, I'd be very intrigued. It's an issue that was spared the purge when I got rid of half of my near-complete Flash run in the 2000s. Ah, good. Partly because the cover is so... I don't think I honestly remembered that there was, it was a reverse Flash and Sargon story. I think because the cover is so iconic. Mm-hmm. It's quite... I mean, I suppose you can... There's detail of the, you know, his ribs poking through the, the tear in the costume. and oh, it's, it's quite hideous. grotesque, but it's it's very... It's very memorable. I mean, you know, it's interesting. This is around the period that DC started to veer a little bit towards dabbling its toes in the water of horror comics. That's obviously something we're going to talk about later in another episode. 
It's the sort of cover you'd maybe expect to see on a, an early 70s issue of House of Mystery or something, rather than yeah. an issue of The Flash, isn't it? Yep, absolutely. Very memorable. So yes, as we kick off, the, the Flash's skeletal remains have been found in a hole in the ground. What could happen that we end up in this situation? There's only one way to find out. Let's jump into the story. Our opening page. Nice domestic scene at the Allen household as Barry arrives in as Iris is cooking in the kitchen and the conversation plays out between them as Barry takes off his jacket and unloosens his collar and sits down and puts his feet up. Iris, as the story begins, is in the kitchen and she hears the door slam and she cries. Is that you, Barry darling? I fixed your favourite dish. Should be ready in a few minutes. Iris stands in the doorway of the kitchen. Barry hangs up his jacket. She says, how was your day, dear? It wasn't. It's been a long week and I'm beat. Barry sits down, puts his feet up. (sighs) Ah, that's comfort. Iris leans in, beeps him on the nose and says, What you need is a vacation. Great idea. I've still got a week coming to me. Where'd you like to go? Skiing? Colorado? Surfing? Waikiki Beach? I can't, Barry. I've got to cover a big convention this weekend for picture news. Why don't you take one by yourself? What? And leave you alone? You don't have to, silly. You're the Flash. You could take a vacation in time and be back at the same time you started. So, as we arrive at the top of page two, there's a caption that says, The secret compartment of Barry's ring springs open to eject a familiar sight. The uniform of The Flash. And in the second panel, we see Barry jumping onto his cosmic treadmill, already bloody because he's moving so quickly, and Iris watches and thinks, Barry's cosmic treadmill has always fascinated me. By running along at the right speed, it takes him to whatever time it's set for. The second panel is a little burst of energy as Barry disappears. Iris continues to think, he's gone. In a minute, he'll reappear, completely rested. Then the next panel, sure enough, Barry's back, standing behind Iris, putting a hand on her shoulder, and he says, You were right, honey. The recreation sites of the 23rd century are literally out of this world. I wonder if he visited the Starship Enterprise. Ha, possibly. Iris and Barry have a little hug as Iris says, Welcome back, Shining Warrior. Welcome back, Shining Warrior. That's a bit random. We arrive on page three now. There's an inset panel of Barry and Iris walking through their gorgeous apartment. Iris is saying, My, you haven't had a sunburn like that since the last time we hit California. Well, you could say I've had the most relaxing, sun-tastic week of my life. I feel great. Barry! Eee! Screams Iris as in this large panel which dominates page three, the flash collapses backwards. A caption says... The Flash. Reverse Flash plus a mysterious new old character in Time Time times three equals... And another further bit of text says... How's that for an appetizer? Now take two slices of the typewriter of Mike Friedrich, slap on a piece of the pencil of Ross Andrew, and top it off with a layer of ink from Mike Esposito, and you have the secret recipe for a story sandwich. Proceed to the next page and enjoy your snack. First panel of page four has a caption that says, Rushing Barry to a nearby hospital, Iris waits with anxious face and wringing hands for news of her husband's condition. Yes, we see Iris sat in a waiting area and she thinks to herself, Oh, I wish they'd hurry in there. Panel two shows Iris approaching a doctor and we can see Barry in sort of shaded silhouette on a gurney in the, the foreground. Iris says to the doctor, How is he, doctor? Is he all right? What's the matter with him? Please be calm, Mrs. Allen. I was unable to diagnose precisely what afflicts your husband. He appears to have some kind of unusual virus of unknown species. 
Was he in some remote place where he could have picked it up? He was on a, uh, a secret assignment. He'd just gotten back when it happened. But what I want to know is what kind of condition he's in. Your husband is in a coma at present, but he apparently is in no immediate danger. There's no point in you staying here all night, so why not go home and rest? I'll call in the morning and inform you of his condition. All right. I should be covering a, a convention for my newspaper now, anyway. Iris doesn't look too convinced. A caption rounds out this page saying, The second course begins on fourth page following. Pass a few adverts for Revel models and such like. We pass the letters page for this issue. We pass a half page advertisement for an issue of World's Finest. And we return to story page five. Caption for panel one says, It's time we split the present scene and cut to the future cell of the criminal Professor Zoom, alias the Reverse Flash, 500 years from now. A solitary cell saturated with special radiation that saps Zoom's willpower, thereby preventing him from concentrating hard enough to use his super speed or advanced mental powers to escape. So yes, Professor Zoom, a.k.a. Eelboard Thorn, he's from the, the future. 500 years from now, and his prison uniform is a striped black and green unitard. And we see sat on a rather comfortable looking bench watching a large television film screen which is showing a gangster movie. And Eobor Thorne is thinking, Some entertainment this is! And a gangster on the screen is pulling a gun on another guy, and the gangster on the screen says, Alright, Louis, drop that gun. We get a close up of Eobor Thorne looking slightly manic in the next panel as he thinks, I'm craving to come to grips with my mortal enemy, the Flash, and they stick me with those idiotic visitorn reproductions of early 20th century gangster movies. Haha, <laughs> gotta admit, I go for that quaint gangster talk. Must remember to emulate it whenever I... And then, out of nowhere, a voice says, Professor Zoom! Th that didn't come from the VT. Who are you? Sargon! Sargon the Sorcerer! And this disembodied voice continues in the final panel of page 5, saying, My objective is to help you escape by bringing you to the 20th century. Are you interested? Was Napoleon interested in power? Of course I want out of here. But how are you going to overcome this radiation penning me in here? Listen and heed. First panel of page 6, the disembodied voice continues again. My contact with you through time is weak. Move as much as you can at super speed and I shall do the rest. Okay, I'm doing it. Got my hand moving. Sure enough, Eobard Thorne, a.k.a. the Reverse Flash, starts to vibrate his right hand. His face and head are vibrating in the next panel as he continues. Whatever you're doing is working. The radiation's weakening. I can move almost all of me now. I'll be able to do the time travel bit in just a few seconds. In the next panel, with a burst of pink energy, he has appeared in front of a figure who wears a red line cape and a yellow turban. Eobard says, Hey, wait a minute, Buster. Wh where am I? This is the abode of Sargon the Sorcerer, 500 years before your time. We can see that Sargon the Sorcerer is holding the Reverse Flash's costume. If you don't know the Reverse Flash's costume, it's basically the reverse of the regular Flash costume. Instead of being predominantly red with yellow boots and highlights, it's predominantly yellow. And this is one of the reasons why he's, I think, one of my favourite comic villains. <laughs> it's such an effective design, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. Really, really impacted on me as a kid. Yeah. In the next panel, as Sargon hands uniform to Eobard Thorn, Thorn says, How'd you latch on to my costume? And why'd you bring me here? What's the catch? 
as he looks around them, we can see that there are sort of grotesque carnival masks and little gargoyle statues around. And Eobard thinks, this layout gives me the creeps. Sargon says, Actually, there was a purpose. Don your reverse flash costume while I explain. For twenty years I fought on the side of the law. However, when I matured, I decided it was a waste of my special talent. So I retired from that life to study the occult. Unveiling the secrets of time fascinated me. As I researched further, I discovered the immense knowledge that could be gained from the past. Frustrated by my attempts to delve into the future, I realized that the only way to gain full knowledge was to travel into the future. Yet nowhere in my mystic studies did I uncover such a method. We see that the little ruby of life that I talked about in the introduction is in the front of Sargon's turban and it's glowing brightly while he speaks. Eoborthon has fitted his costume, we see him adjusting his mask, and he's now the reverse flash. And he says to Sargon, Ah, uh, yeah, where did I fit in your setup, Sargon? So we arrive at the top of page seven now, Sargon replies. In my studies, I'd gone to a few uh, illegal lengths to obtain my information, not daring to approach the obvious person, the flash, for fear of having him uncover them. I did the next best thing and contacted you. A memento, your costume, from the Flash Museum that I, uh, stole, enabled me to contact you through time with my improved Ruby of Life. To get to the point, pal, you want me to wise you up on how to time travel? Nothing doing. It take months to train your brain to do it. And as long as I'm here in the past, I'm not going to blow it with you, plain schoolteacher. The next panel, the reverse Flash is vibrating his way through the wall. And as he disappears, he says, so long, chump. Be seeing you after I bump off the flash. Wait, I can help you. He's gone. The next panel shows Sargon standing over a table which has the Flash's uniform stretched out on it. Sargon is thinking. I could force the reverse flash to return since I control his uniform with my ruby, but that would not accomplish my purpose. The quicker flash is destroyed, the quicker I'll learn the secret of time travel. Hmm, I stole one of Flash's uniforms from the museum. I can easily... Panel 5 of page 7. Sargon is standing, holding the Flash's uniform, and he's saying... By the spells of Sassiter, I cannot locate the Flash anywhere. Interesting. It must be some kind of psychic link to the Flash through the material because he's been in contact with it. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. A tiny caption at the bottom of this panel says... What do you expect, man? He's out cold <laughs> in a hospital. Yes, be reasonable, Sargon. Come on. <laughs> Final panel of page seven shows Sargon with his ruby glowing little candelabra in the background, another scary mask on the wall beside him, and he's consulting a large book, and he's thinking, There is but one alternative. I shall have to outwit Professor Zoom by making him think Flash is dead. Here in this ancient book is the incantation for exhuming bodily remains from afar, even through time itself. Yes, we arrive top of page eight. Sargon is holding up the Flash's uniform. It's almost he's in the centre of a green spotlight. And he's saying, Though time and space doth dull these tomes, bring to me the Flash's bones. Yes, though, it's a bit creepy the next panel. We see that the empty costume, it was no longer empty. There's a skull inside the cowl. Sargon says, I have succeeded, though even I shudder to look at the very rawness of death. Grave robbing is definitely not within my scheme of conduct. I must consult my tome again to push back the many years of this skeleton. Have it appear as though Flash died recently. Next panel, Sargon with a little 
Ruby of Life glowing very brightly again. There's a nice rip sound effect as he starts to damage the Flash's uniform. And he's saying, Now to plant it in a place where I'll arrange for it to be found. Okay, a slow dissolve, the caption for panel four of page eight says, A few hours later, as Saturday streaks over Central City... Appears to be some sort of waste ground. We can see some chunks of bricks if it's the former site of a building. There's a hole in a fence. Two boys have already crept through. A third one is in the process of forcing his way through the hole, and as he does so, he says, Why'd you bring us here, Dave? I don't know. I just got this feeling that we were going to find something. That's the second boy wearing a purple jumper. He has glasses. There's another boy in a green jumper. He's near a hole in the ground that we can see at the forefront of the panel. And he's saying, Hey, look! And the next panel, oh, I love when this happens. It hasn't happened for ages. We get a panel that very, very closely recreates the image on the cover. We're down in this hole in the ground. The skeletal remains of the Flash in his uniform are right before us. And we can see the three boys peeking through the hole up above. Dave, the boy in the glasses, says, The Flash! Dead! And his friend says, Turned into a skeleton! And the boy who found the body first says, One of his super foes finally done him in! Gosh! So, a slow dissolve. Top of page nine, caption for the first panel says, Soon in the mystic hideaway of Sargon... Sargon is looking very pleased with himself. The reverse Flash is with him. Sargon is saying, As you must have heard over the news broadcast, Professor, the Flash is dead. I... Sargon the Sorcerer destroyed him for you. Now you're free to teach... Wait a minute, Buster. What do you think you're trying to pull? All I was found was a skeleton with a ripped-up costume on it, which proves nothing. As the reverse flash waggles an angry finger at Sargon. (laughs) The next panel, an exterior view, presumably of Sargon's house, and a full moon looms in the background as the reverse flash speeds away, saying, I'm not swallowing this till I check it out with someone on the inside. We should probably point out, this is the Reverse Flash emulating the gangster speak. He doesn't normally talk like this. Yes, true. <laughs> it's quite <laughs> funny. In our preparation the other week, Pete and I were talking about this comic, and I was saying, oh, good, brilliant, we're getting to a Reverse Flash story. I love the Reverse Flash, isn't it brilliant? And Pete was like, yeah. And then Pete said, oh, there's one terrible story where he cuts about talking like a gangster. So imagine <laughs> our delight when we realised it was this one. So there's a slow dissolve. Panel three of page nine. A caption there says... Carrying the morbid setup to the extreme, Professor Zoom calls upon his detested rival's wife as an undertaker. Yes, Iris at the door of the house, and there's a guy in a suit looking very shady. That would appear to be Zoom in disguise. He's obviously given the bad news to go and see Iris. The reverse flash was obviously aware of Barry's real identity. Mm-hmm. Just bear that in mind for the future listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Iris looks aghast. This figure's obviously given the bad news. She says... Make arrangements for my husband's funeral? But he's not... The hospital would have told me. Slam! She closes the door on his face. She looks very distraught in the next panel. She goes to the telephone, saying, I'd better call the hospital and make sure. Behind her, the shady, suited, hatted figure starts to vibrate through the walls. And this is a bit scary, given what we know is going to happen in the future. Mm -hmm. The scary, vibrating through the wall figure is thinking, I knew this undertaker front would get Iris moving. Iris is going to the telephone. She's made a call by the final panel of page nine, and she's saying, He's what? He can't be missing. And the vibrating form, poking through the wall, thinks, Aha! Caption for the first panel there on page ten says, With more fury than Lois Lane ever had, Iris tears into action. Oh, first mention of Lois Lane for quite a while on the podcast there. Yes. Uh-huh. She'll be along fairly soon, actually. Spoiler. 
Iris is at the police station. She's shouting at an officer over the desk. The guy behind the desk in his cap says, But Mrs. Allen, our investigators are already checking out who the skeleton is. What would you want with the photos? My public wants to know, Sergeant. And if you don't give me those photos, the whole city will know about it. Caption for panel two. Shortly at the hospital... See two doctors standing, examining some x-rays. One of them is the doctor that we saw earlier on, and he's joined by a colleague who says, A most peculiar case, huh? As they're interrupted by the arrival of Iris. The doctor who we saw earlier on says, Ah, you can't look at these. They're hospital property. Yeah, he's talking about the x-rays they're looking at. Iris says, They're my husband's x-ray charts, and I'll look at them if I want. And panel three shows Iris indeed looking at the x-rays, saying, Oh my God, they're the same. Even the chip bone Barry told me he received playing high school football. To the left of the panel, we can see the vibrating form of the reverse flash in his undertaker disguise. Very scary. The next panel, Iris looks distraught as she cries, Barry! Barry! And the vibrating reverse flash undertaker, there's a sentence I never thought I'd say before today, hovers <laughs> behind her thinking, Then Sargon's right. The flash is dead. Interesting. So they've obviously x-rayed the skeleton and compared it to the X-ray of Barry. That's very interesting. So, final panel of page 10. Reverse Flash returns to see Sargon. Sargon says, Now that you're convinced of Flash's demise, you're free to begin my time travel training. The first panel of page 11 shows the Reverse Flash, fingers up to his chin, looking very thoughtful as he thinks, Why should I let this creep get a piece of my action? I'm going to keep this time travel gig all to myself. I'll have to trick him to get him off of my back. It's the only way I can be sure he don't pull any of that magic stuff on me. The next panel, we see Sargon remonstrating at the reverse flash, who appears to be standing with his arms folded. But Zoom zooms off, leaving an image for Sargon's address. Sargon is saying, Think of the power that will be ours. The new fields we can conquer. But the reverse flash has zoomed off, and he's looking at the same book that Sargon was looking at earlier on, and now thinking, I'll go through this magic book and come up with something. He'll be so excited he won't know what's happening to him. Sargon realises that Zoom has disappeared and going to look at this book. Sargon turns as Zoom is saying, First, you gotta recite these here mental exercise words. Fast! So in panel four, Sargon crosses to the book and he says, By the soul of Zeus and the kin of Ishtar, transport ye servant to Chimano afar. And a weird green smoke starts to appear and envelop him. Sargon cries, I, I, I've been tricked. You've made me recite words that condemn me to the netherworld of Chimano. And in an extreme close-up in the foreground of the panel, Professor Zoom says, As they say, that's the brakes buster. <laughs> the next panel is an aerial shot of the city as the reverse flash zooms along the road in the pavement, thinking, I'm glad I got rid of that guy. That mystic magic was beginning to scare me. Now I got the whole world at my feet and no flash to stop me. I'm going to pull the crimes of the century, every century, until my own time. And I'm going to do it all in one day. A job an hour, all around the world. Ha 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 ha, he says in close-up. Over the page then to page 12, and a caption for this half-page panel says, And to keep his boast, the reverse flash does, with disastrous results to law enforcement agents throughout the world. It's basically a sort of montage panel. There's a foreground image of the reverse flash standing with his hands on his hips laughing, and the globe is behind him, and there's drawings of, Four of them running about carrying out crimes like stealing money and statues and stuff. And we see the various locations that he's visited. Beirut. Leningrad. Mexico City. Buenos Aires. Cape Town. 
Honolulu. Montreal. New Delhi. A truly international range of crimes there from the reverse flash. He's so evil. So we arrive now at the top of page 13. The caption for the first panel says... Okay, okay, by now you gotta be asking, whatever happened to our hero, The Flash? You wouldn't have bought this mag if you weren't interested. So, (laughs) it's quite simple. Here was Barry Allen in the grip of a feverish coma. In the grip of a feverish coma was a menswear B-side. I think it was an extra song on Being Brave. Yes, it's a very moody shot, actually. Barry let almost from underneath, just lying in his hospital bed, looking very pained. You can see some beads of sweat on his brow. Very, very effective. There's some brilliant panels in this comic, so this one might not make it onto the socials, but there might be some more room for it on Facebook than there is on Instagram, but it's a cracker. So, the caption for panel two then says, When suddenly, in the midst of night... Barry sits up in bed, rubbing his head and thinking, Huh? What am I doing here? I feel... Fine. Iris must be worried sick. I gotta leave. Caption for the next panel. Dressing quickly. Yep, Barry fully dressed, making his exit from the hospital. He's observed a couple of nurses. Barry's thinking, The things you get away with if you look like you know what you're doing. Yes, he's waving to the nurses, and one of the nurses says, Hmm, sharp. Must be one of the new interns. Caption for panel four. Still mildly deluded, he ducked into a nearby alley. Couple of dustbins there. I wonder if Jerry Grandinetti was walking past and sneaked in with his pen. Might have been. Barry activates the costume ring on his left hand. His costume expands as it touches the air and Barry thinks... The quickest way back is as the flash. No one will see me change here. However, caption for the next panel says... Only to collapse again, where he remained unfound for many hours. Yes, and another very moody panel of a costume flash falling face down in the alleyway with a dustbin looming in the background. And a rather odd caption runs this panel out saying, Simple. See? Final panel of page 13 is captioned, Now! And we see that Barry had fallen under a small flight of stairs, probably part of a fire escape or the entrance of the doorway or something. A dustbin looms in the foreground as the flash comes to and thinks, Oh, whatever possessed me to go and leave the hospital... First panel of page 14, he's got to his feet, staggering forward. He waves to a a yellow motor car that's driving towards him, thinking, I'll play it safe, take a taxi back. The taxi pulls up and the driver is saying, Ha! The Flash! It can't be, he's dead. Must be one of these nutty superhero fans I hear about. Next panel, Flash is seated in the back of the taxi as it drives off. The taxi driver is thinking, he's putting on a good act. Asking to be rushed to the hospital. The guy's wife is probably sick. Cabby's got the radio on. The voice from the radio says, The reverse flash has already committed 23 worldwide crimes and is reported heading back to Central City. The flash, having heard this radio bulletin, thinks, I can't go back now. I'll have to chance it. I've got to stop Professor Zoom. The flash then says, Cabby, I've changed my mind. Let me out. He waves a couple of notes at the driver who looks at him and thinks, This is taking it too far. He expects me to believe he's going after the reverse flash. Panel 4 of page 14, the flash is running away from the taxi and we can see now that it has a very stylized ace symbol on the door, so ace cabs, terrific. Flash runs off, the cabbie says, Wow, look at him go. As the flash speeds off, he thinks, I'll intercept him outside the city. Won't endanger so many people. Caption for the next panel then. Bursting with the brilliance of a firebomb from out of nowhere strikes an eerie bolt. 
Yeah, there's a massive burst of golden energy and the flash grows translucent and fades out. It reminds me very much of the, um, actually the cover of that issue of the flash where he's being turned into a puppet. Do you know what I mean? Uh huh. The pose, yes, uh huh. Just the way that he sort of gets zapped and experiences something odd. Yes. The taxi driver sees this happening and he says, he's disappeared. Man, I'm taking the rest of the day off. Nobody at the station will ever believe this. Caption name for the first panel of page 15 says, Once more we take the flashback trail to pick up on Sargon the Sorcerer, but we won't let you get dizzy. We're going to play it straight the rest of the way through. Yes, an interesting panel. Runs the length of the page, Sargon tumbling over himself through a a weird green, eerie-looking place, the ruby still glowing in his turban as he cries, Chimano, the domain of the chill of death. Not even the mightiest of warlocks has been able to withstand its icy hold. Caption for panel two. Many years of experience are called to the fore, enabling the sorcerer to stay calm in the face of the greatest danger he has ever faced. Yes, Sargon, it's almost like he's been drawn along by by a big rush of winds. There's little bursts of bluey-green energy all around him as he says, The chill has struck, cannot even maintain balance, must stop it before it freezes me. But my ruby is not equipped to operate here. Its magic is effective only on Earth. On the final panel of page 15, we get a close-up of the ruby. Sargon touches it and says, However, it can still control those on Earth. My one slim chance for survival is to bring Flash here. Must locate him this time. Gosh, this is exciting. It's a close-up of Sargon in the green maelstrom in the first panel of page 16, as he says, The contact will be weak. I do not have his flash uniform with me, but as long as I once touched it... Ah, Flash is using his speed. I can summon him here. Caption for the next panel says, Rapidly reciting the necessary incantation, the fastest man on earth is dramatically deposited in the midst of the magical maelstrom. Yes, glow of energy, the flash appears... Close to Sargon, presumably this is where he went to after he vanished from running away from the taxi. As he appears in front of Sargon, the Flash says, What what am I doing here and, and who are you? This wind, like a thousand icicles trickling down my spine. Flash starts to spin, rotate, vibrate his left arm in the next panel, saying, Have to create a wind of my own. Ah, uh, it's only holding back part of it. Yes, he's obviously trying to insulate them from the, the scary maelstrom. Sargon replies, Yes, the magical chill of Chimano penetrates all barriers. Our only hope is to escape completely. They shot the flash amidst the madness here as he says, I still don't know who you are, but apparently you have some mystic background. I might be able to vibrate us back to Earth if you could somehow attune me to the proper frequency. Sargon replies, My ruby of life can aid you, but you must touch it. And then the flash says what we see in the next panel. I'll have to swim through the wind to reach you. And then the caption for the next panel, final panel of page 16, says what we see. Closer, closer, closer. Muscles strain beyond normal endurance. Yes, we see Sargon and the Flash reaching out for each other amidst the green maelstrom, a bit like something out of a meatloaf video, perhaps. So, we arrive at the top of page 17. The caption for the first panel says, Contact. Yes, the void around them seems to darken as Flash grabs hold of Sargon's wrist with his right hand and touches the ruby of life with his left hand. Flash says, Can't continue to hold back the wind and try to vibrate us through the magic barrier. I'll have to drop our protection and hope we can last. Sargon says, 
Anything, anything, long as we get away from this cursed place. The cold shudder of death crashes through pounding veins as the Scarlet Speedster and Magic Master vibrate for life. Yes, it's a sequence of three panels of the Flash keeping a hold of Sargon, and they're both vibrating in the familiar way that we're used to. And as all this happens, the Flash is saying, The cold must hold out. Keep at it. And then it's a burst of golden energy in the final panel of page 17, and they appear in the grass outside a city. The Flash says, Broke through. And as he collides with the ground, Sargon says, We've succeeded. Uh, uh. So dear, he seems to have knocked himself out. The first panel of page 18, the Flash has arranged Sargon, so he sat up against the tree trunk. I wonder if it's the same tree that he, he nailed his uniform to in issue one, 159. Quite possibly. <laughs> we'll never know. In our DC comic continuity that we write one day, it will be. And as the Flash runs off towards the city, we, we can see, if we look closely, that the Ruby of Life doesn't appear to be in Sargon's turban anymore. So the Flash runs off, thinking, He passed out, couldn't stand the strain. I can't spend much time here. That virus may hit me again, and the reverse Flash may be hundreds of years away by now. Speaking of the reverse Flash, we cut back to him in the next panel. He's running along with a bag of swag in his hand, looking very pleased for himself and thinking, I robbed 20th century Earth of its best loot and reduced it all to super miniatures, the easier to carry. <laughs> now for the crown and touch. To steal the greatest monument to my sadly departed foe, the Flash Museum. But the next panel he spotted a familiar crimson figure rushing towards him, and he thinks, But what's this? The Flash! Alive? Sargon double-cross me! The rat! Next panel, as they start to close in on each other, Zoom thinks, I wasn't planning on this. And the Flash thinks, He must have shrunk his loot. Zoom continues to think, but I'm not one to pass up an advantage. And he reveals a gadget in his right hand, which he fires, and seemingly out of nowhere we see expensive chairs and statues, and there's a big fancy clock, presumably some of the stuff that he stole in his international crime spree, and it starts to grow and enlarge. Indeed, the Flash confirms this, thinking, And he's enlarging it right at me. Over the page, top of page 19, the caption for the first panel says, Using his brain as fast as his feet, the resourceful mercurial hero is not without a clever comeback. This first panel shows all the expensive and valuable things that the reverse Flash stole, flying through the air towards the Flash, but the Flash is an idea and starts to run very quickly, thinking, Gotta outrun it, whip up a suction, and return the loot to its unlawful owner. The Flash runs, creating a vortex, which indeed brings all the stolen goods, flying towards the reverse Flash, who cries, Wise guy, eh? You're not gonna catch me without protection, Flash. He uses his gun with a zwee. He zaps all the gear again, and it's a bit clearer this time that obviously the stolen stuff is shrunk down into the weapon. And then in the final panel of page 19, the reverse Flash says, In fact, I'm gonna catch you! And the zwit fires the weapon at the Flash. Massive burst of pink energy. First panel of page 20, we see the Flash starting to shrink down. The zwee sound effect continues as reverse Flash towers over the Flash saying, Ha ha ha! You're only one-tenth your size now, Flash, and only one-tenth as fast. Take that, rat! And a giant gloved yellow hand collides with the, the shrunken Flash. And then in the next panel, the reverse Flash has grabbed the Flash and dropped him into a handy transparent tube cylinder that he's got on him. The reverse Flash says, Ha ha! I'll just add you to my prize collection. You won't be able to move a muscle in my Flash trap. 
The caption name for the next panel says, The sinister super speedster, his nemesis once removed, continues his centennial crusade of crime. Yes, yeah, a very interesting panel. This one might go on the socials as well. It's a, another montage of horrified faces of probably very important people and the eyes of very important people as the reverse flash looks ecstatic as he seems to run through the years 2069, 2169, 2269, 2369. Obviously, as we know, this comic was published in 1969, so that's very on the nose. He looks very happy at success. First panel of page 21, the reverse flash is surrounded by a golden glow as he seems to appear in what looks like his den where he's been storing all of the fancy stuff that he's stolen over the, the centuries. He is saying, ha 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 ha, 500 years of crime. That makes me the most famous criminal in history. Now to top it all off by regaining my former crime crown in my own time. There's a caption for the next panel. But, unknown to the future felon, Flash has revived. Yeah, we get close-up of the Flash in the little plastic tube that he's trapped in like a small tartan drummer girl. And as he's thinking... Can't move. He's got me paralysed like a butterfly. There's a close-up of the Flash's hand in the next panel. As he's thinking... I've still got that magician's ruby... I must have torn it away and never noticed it. And indeed we do see. The glowing ruby of life is in the Flash's right hand. He continues to think. Let's see if I can get it to work its magic for me. He's successful in the next panel, as he thinks. Just as I figured, the ruby controls whatever it's been in contact with. I've commanded the powerful winds of Chimano to crack my test tube prison. Yes, there's a massive crack sound effect and a rush of green wind as the Flash breaks free from what apparently is a test tube. It's a very odd-looking test tube, if you ask me. Mm. Final panel of page 21 shows the Flash still at miniature size, forcing the green winds of Chimano towards the reverse Flash with a giant roar. As the Flash gestures, he thinks, As a starter, I whip zoom up into the air, now to regain my normal size. Jumping forward to page 22... As we see Zoom being wooed up into the air by the green winds of Chimano, the Flash says, Then cut off the wind and send him crashing back to Earth just hard enough to KO him. Yes, and with a very satisfying thud, <laughs> the reverse Flash collides with the ground. In the next panel, the Flash thinks, I saw how he worked his size-changing gimmick. Yes, and with a zwee, we see that the Flash speeds around so fast to fire the gun that he's then able to move backwards and be struck by the beam and start to grow up to his full size. He continues to think. Soon as I deposit this character in prison again and return all the loot he stole, I'll check back in that magician in the 20th century. Interesting. Caption for the next panel then says, When Flash turns his time-travelling feet to the spot where he left Sargon... Yes, he returns to the tree, and I am convinced it's the same tree that we saw in issue <laughs> 159. It looks very like it. Listeners, do you think it's the same tree? Write in and let us know. Flash returns to the tree, but there's no sign of Sargon. Flash thinks... He's gone. Must have come to and took off for wherever he came from. Wonder who he is. No time to concern myself about that. I better get back home and tell Iris I'm all right. Then cosmic treadmill it back to the 25th century and see if the docks then have a cure for what's bugging me. Can't chance collapsing again. Final panel of page 22. Very large striking image of the Flash running through the city. The city's lit up like a giant crossword puzzle. And above that looms the figure of Sargon, who is thinking... Return to your day-to-day -day existence, Flash. I've learned a lesson by trying to use an outside party to help me. Time times three equals disaster. You still have my ruby, Flash, and Sarkon the Sorcerer shall return to get it 
then time shall be mine. This is not the end. Gosh. Page 23, final page of the story. The caption for the first panel. In the Allen household, sometime later... Barry's coming through the door. There's a lovely, I hadn't noticed it earlier, there's a lovely checkerboard pattern to the linoleum they have in the hallway. That's just like my bathroom. Is it? Yeah. There you go. Listeners, is this linoleum like your bathroom? Write in and let us know. <laughs> Barry looks very tired as he comes through the door saying, Those 25th century doctors are efficient, but they're medicine. I won't be able to feel anything for a month. A voice cries from off camera saying, That you, Barry, darling? I'm here in the bedroom. Barry makes his way in, in the next panel, saying, Well, stand clear, honey. I'm so knocked out I can hardly see. Oh, I'm not sleeping. I'm packing for the vacation you promised me. And we see as Iris puts things into her suitcase. And we again, we're shown that, rather charmingly, Barry and Iris are still sleeping in separate beds. Aww. Iris has her suitcase in her bed. She's filling it up with stuff. But Barry collapses, face down, forward onto his own bed, going, <coughs> mm. Iris cries, Barry! And the final panel is a close-up of a very sleepy Barry Allen as he says... <laughs> the the end. end. Wow. That was absolutely marvellous. That was insane. I loved that. Mm -hmm. So Barry basically has no idea that Sargon is evil. Yeah. <laughs> Sargon obviously first appeared during the Golden Age, so we can speculate, I suppose, at the moment that because he first appeared during the Golden Age that he was probably on Earth 2. Mm. Because this is Barry Allen, we are very definitely on Earth 1. So does yes. this mean Sargon's from Earth 1? Has he come over from Earth 2? We will talk about such things further in the future, won't we? Yes, uh -huh. as it stands at this point, you don't know anything other than the fact he was a crime fighter for 20 years in the past, and that's longer than his published history, because it's only about, what, eight years, nine years that he was actually in publication? Yeah. So, obviously, there have been stories that uh, we haven't seen. If it is the same Sargon, we're not saying whether it is or not, so, yeah. That's true. He does appear again. Fairly soon. There's a famous Justice League of America story, which we'll be covering, obviously, and, you know, mm -hmm. he also pops up again in the Flash, but we'll get to them before too long. Yeah. It's a reasonably good sort of showcase for, for what Sargon does and how he operates. Yeah. But again, it's, it doesn't really give us too much about why he's behaving the way he is. True. Very true. But again, Mike Friedrich does have a run of Sargon stories. This is the first of them. Uh, he will be popping up in several stories. And they're mostly written by Mike Friedrich. So, yeah, keep an eye open for that. We'll find out more as we go along. Yeah, th there'll be some consistency, yeah. It's an interesting story for the Reverse Flash, I suppose. Yep. Quite a colourful way of using him, I suppose. He's almost like a, a special guest villain rather than the main lead guest villain. Yeah. And it is an absolutely logical person for Sargon to approach. It's a villain who can travel through time. You could also say he could have approached Abracadabra, but perhaps the fact that he uses technology... As magic, maybe put him off. Yes, that's possible. That's a thought. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting that Sargon basically wants to learn time travel so he can travel into the future to do more bad things. Yeah. That's quite shocking, really. <laughs> it's quite a curveball if he was a superhero for so long to suddenly start misbehaving, isn't it? Yeah. Can you imagine if he was successful and popped up in a Legion story? I mean, could you, that would be that would be quite fun. I can't imagine. We're going to write it. Excellent. <laughs> Hands off everyone else. It's our idea. I love the half page 12 that we get of Reverse Flash looting the world because it's just hilarious. Yeah. He's standing there it's just brilliant. laughing, head thrown back. Yep. But the places he's robbing, the captions don't actually correlate at all, really. <laughs> with, unless Montreal's yes. kind of like where Atlantis is, uh -huh. Mexico City's and Greenland's. Yeah, that's uh, very interesting. <laughs> 
Beirut would appear to be in Russia. New Delhi is in the Pacific. Cape Town appears to be between North America and Japan. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. <laughs> Honolulu's not far off, but you know. Maybe this takes place on a whole other Earth, or maybe the geography of Earth 1 is very odd. <laughs> well. <laughs> Who can say? It's it's an interesting concept, it's just maybe not executed the best way. <laughs> no, it's a nice shorthand though. Yes, absolutely. And I like, you know, rather than just sort of montages of the Eiffel Tower and all that sort of stuff again, it's, mm-hmm. it's quite funny. I love the fact that you went to Honolulu. <laughs> What's so important in Honolulu that you had to steal it? Fascinating. Honolulu, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you get those eyes? Yes. Again, like the other Mike Friedrich stuff that we've done, it's quite clever. There's an awful lot of really good ideas that are almost sort of thrown away, like the whole yeah. thing with the Flash's body being found. Yeah. Sargon reached into the future and got the Flash's body, or he got his skeleton, and yeah. that's not picked up on again. As far as you know, that was just left in the hospital. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's quite interesting. And obviously, you know, we all know what happens in Crisis at Infinite Earths. Yeah. But then we also know what happened in the 2000s when Barry came back. Mm-hmm. I was reminded, actually, there's a bit in 52, do you remember, when you think Booster Gold has died? Yeah. And they do a similar, they do the same trick. Yeah, I was going to mention that. (laughs) They reach into the future and grab his skeleton, and there's a bit when Booster sort of says he doesn't want to think about it too closely. Exactly, yes. (laughs) That was, I was sort of reminded of that, obviously. I wonder if the, yes. I wonder if the 52 story was a deliberate reference, given that Mark Weed was involved, it probably was. It may well be, it may well be, or inspired by. Yeah. The vibrating into invisibility reverse flash undertaker is both hilarious and mega, mega, mega creepy. Yes. One of the abilities of vibrating super speed is you basically become invisible. Mm-hmm. And just to see him kind of shadowing Iris around is genuinely horrible. I mean, you could be forgiven for thinking it's the Phantom Stranger from his, one of his early appearances, you know. Actually, yes. Uh-huh. Lurking around and, and misbehaving, but it's it's quite creepy. And mm-hmm. I mean, there are some more reverse flash stories that we're going to do in the future. Yeah. I'm not sure if there's, if there's one that we are going to do, but I'm sure there is one where he kind of floats about the Allen household sort of keeping an eye Mm-hmm. on Iris behaving very sort of similarly as he does here. Uh-huh. That's an interesting bit of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad we got to do a reverse Flash story that sort of fits into our our mandate. You know, it's, it's good that yeah. Sargon popped up for this one. Mm-hmm. You know, a sort of returning Golden Age hero. It's nice that that gave us the, the jumping off point to do a reverse Flash story because I think it's, it's an important enough character that we flag him up before he appears again in the future. Yep, certainly. I also like the fact that Iris had so much to do in this one. Yeah. She's obviously probably at her wit's end. The fact that she sees the skeleton and then yeah. and the x-rays and stuff and then goes rushing off and then we don't really see her again until Barry comes home. So she, has she forgotten about the, the skeleton thing? It's kind of... Mm. I'm assuming there's a missed scene where everything's resolved and, and he comes back. Yeah, I would hope so. For Iris's sake, I hope so. Yeah, he explains everything to Iris then he goes into the future to get himself cured properly. Yeah, I think that, so. that's... Hopefully what happened between the last two pages, I think. That would mm-hmm. have been nice. It'd be a bit heartless if Iris had just decided to go on a vacation. Yes, exactly. Oh, Barry's dead. Time for my vacation. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen a moment when they were reunited and she was assured that he was okay. That's It seems a yeah. bit of a, an off thing to have left that out, but it's again, there's lots of ideas going on. Yeah, Only exactly. so many pages. Exactly. That would have robbed us of the comedy moment of falling at the bed at the end. Yes, very much so. I wonder what happened to those three little boys, traumatised at finding the skeleton of the Flash, you know. Yes. Uh There's lots of good ideas that have been thrown out, maybe without being thought through. I seem to remember that some of the criticism of the Mike Freed Expector stuff was along similar lines. Mm -hmm. You know, there were some good ideas, but it wasn't particularly tidy. Mm. Yeah. 
I must admit, I loved the Andrew Esposito art in this. Yes. They did the cover as well, but I think the storytelling in it is fantastic. Yes, strong agree. You even had a few nods to Carmen Infantino, where Flash is slightly outside the city, and all you see is just the the flat cityscape in the background, which is a complete Infantino swipe, so to speak. Yeah, there's some really, really nice touches here. I'm just looking at the page here. Uh, page 20 where it's reverse flash running through the centuries yes and it's just his face just the glee and his ugly criminal face mm-hmm. as he runs through and all these eyes look at him all helpless because they can't stop him it's wonderful absolutely wonderful yeah it's really good mm-hmm. you know I, I don't think the the response to ross and mike was completely 100 percent at the time because obviously there was a no. bit of a backlash because carmine and gone but you know they, yeah. they do a good job in this one mm-hmm. i mean the, that whole little sequence for a couple of pages of the flash being shrunk down that's just great. It comes out of nowhere, but it feels like proper, authentic Silver Age Flash fun. Yep. And they do a good job on it, I would agree, yeah. And again, as we've spoken in many an episode recently, you can certainly see that the colour palette has increased. There's a lot more shading and toning, and it looks very different from the Infantino era, where things are all a bit, a bit flatter as far as colour went. Yeah, I know what you mean. This is definitely much more atmospheric. Yeah, that's fair. I echo that. Things like the cabbie. The cabbie... When you see him, he's sort of just like with a light blue over, over their face as if it's like a light from the radio or, or lights from the street lights outside. Yeah. It's not driving about the skin tone. It's it's uh-huh. very atmospheric uh-huh. looking. It's great. Yeah. And the other dimension that they're in, Chimano, mm. it's not quite Doctor Strange-like. It's quite plain, but mostly it's just sweeping winds and, and a kind of a, almost like a, a web. Yes. A web sort of mesh kind of background. Uh-huh. It's very vague as to what it could actually be, and that's kind of yes. adds to the frightening element of it, the fact that there's just these winds, this green look, and it does look very unearthly. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that the reverse flash obviously read the book at speed, so he's able to find the right page yeah. that Sargon would read and fire himself away with. That was really clever as well. Yeah, but how stupid is Sargon to fall for? Yes, thank you, I'll, I'll help <laughs> you, but first can you do a mental exercise for me to yeah. prove that you can read? <laughs> exactly. I mean, he's dealing with a, a notorious criminal, and he knows he's dealing with a notorious criminal, so you'd think he would have been a little bit more guarded about what was happening. Mm. Tut, tut, tut. Silly old Sargon. Indeed. Yes. Should we jump to the letters? Let's do so. Cool. Let's jump on to Flash issue 190 for Flashgrams. And the first letter says, Dear Editor, Comp, Chomp, Gulp, It's only me eating my words again. This happened once before with the new look Batman. Now it's happened again with the Flash. Ross Andrew, Mike Esposito, I humbly apologise. Chomp, Chew. <laughs> Flash 186 was the best issue since Infantino turned in his pencil. The improvement in the Andrew Esposito art from 185 to 186 was, well, staggering. The cover was the most striking since Who Doomed the Flash in issue 130 over six years ago. Munch, munch. That's for you, Mike Friedrich. After some mediocre efforts in various DC magazines, I was beginning to lose (laughs) faith in you. Never again. Professor Zoom's long overdue return was handled very well. It's about time someone realised that an inescapable trap might really be inescapable without outside help. And of course, this new look Sargon the Sorcerer can be used again and again. Warning, Sargon is not an evil character and should not be treated as such. Mm. My only complaint was that the plot was so complicated that I had to read the magazine twice before I understood everything. So... Chomp, <laughs> chew, and burp. And that's from R.L. Thomas from 
Capron, Illinois. We've had letters from him before, haven't we? Yes, because it's not Roy Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> the editorial response to RL's letter is, Only one complaint. For the love of Mike F., how to succeed in the complaint business without really trying is demonstrated next. Right, so there wasn't much of a response to that letter at all, but the next letter no. goes like this. Dear Editor, Sargon the Sorcerer is not only blah, he's bleh. Whoever possessed a rational, sane writer like Mike Friedrich to resurrect that dullest of dull magicians from oblivion, I'll never understand. Can't you leave bad enough alone? Ooh. Three times three equals question mark, and the March Flash was the utterest bit of nonsense I've ever read. Shall I pick it apart? First of all, the bit about Flash catching a 23rd century virus. It's impossible. You know why? Flash zoomed into the future via his cosmic treadmill. To return to 1969, he relaxed his time travel vibrations and his body dematerialised. If Flash had a virus in his own system, he would have left it behind in the 23rd century because only those molecules that had been under vibration from the start of the journey returned to the present. If he had stayed in 2269 or whatever, he might have become ill but not otherwise. Now, what about the skeletal Flash business? Sargon plucked a skeleton of Flash from the future, obviously many years after the speedster had died. Iris then compared shots of Flash's future bones with shots of Barry's present bones. The skeletons were identical. Do you mean to tell me that between now and the day he dies, Barry will never have another bone injury? A tooth extracted, etc.? That twenty-odd more years of super speed won't have any effect on his skeletal structure? Sargon magicked the bones to look like new, but he didn't erase physical changes. Otherwise, he could have created a replica and not bothered with grave robbing. That's a fair point. One more thing. The reverse Flash starts stealing up and down the timeline, making a reputation for himself as the greatest criminal the world has ever known. Don't you see that if this were so, the moment the first reverse Flash crime was committed, back at Zoom's origin story, he would have been recognised as the number one time thief and permanently incarcerated. He would have been an infamous figure in all the history books before he was even born. Don't fiddle around with time. It's tricky. And that's from Rand B. Lee, Roxbury, Connecticut. Editorial response to that one is... With some ingenious squirming, we could worm our way out of the holes in this story. But that would necessitate filling up the rest of this letter call with time-worn explanations. Instead... Consider the timely reaction of a fellow Flash fan, says the editor. And the final letter says, Dear Editor, Mike Friedrich scores again with 3 times 3 equals question mark. Although I have never heard of Sargon the Sorcerer, I really enjoyed this very flashy tale. First, Barry got sick, real sick, instead of his wife or friend or goldfish. <laughs> Visiting all those time periods and strange planets, it's really something that the good guys wouldn't get sick with anything but worry. Barry's cure posed some questions to me. I wonder just what will happen to Earth in the future. Will there be a cure for the common cold or cancer? Will world sickness extend to cover all parts of the globe? Will there be a third era of comic mags? Will there be any comic mags? <laughs> I'm also happy to see that Mike Friedrichs remembered the phrase there is no honour among thieves. Many writers bring a couple of villains together and make them act real buddy-buddy. Crooks steal because they are greedy and selfish. Any nut would know that a hard-working criminal would have some of his qualities. However, greed for double amounts of value and stupidity, one must be stupid to become a crook in the first place, brings a villain to enlist a villain to help steal and be knocked off later. Although such an arrangement was not present in the story, we see a magician asking a criminal for something he wants and supercriminal using the magician's help for escape and revenge purposes only. Once Professor Zoom's wants were achieved... He forgets about Sargon and does what he wants. 
When badgered again by the magician, Zoom attempts to dispose of him. You can't trust a crook. They're all cowards too. Their highness comes only from their weapons. When deprived of weapons, they're scared of being caught. Or, when helpless, they must depend on the doughty defenders of the law to save their skins. By the way, I'd like to see Flash use Sargon's ruby once more before the sorcerer comes back to get it. I know that if I were a superhero, I'd pack a little secret weapon to aid me in case my powers were not very effective. If the ruby wouldn't work, you guessed it, I'd depend on the doughty defenders of law and order to save my skin. And that's from Joe Rusnak from Montville, New Jersey. And there's no editorial response to that one. No. Thankfully, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> A bit melee, that one. I kind of want to pick up on a couple of Ranby Lee's points. Yes. Right, so he's talking about the Flash time travelling and how the Flash vibrates at different rates in different time zones and basically just relaxes his inner vibratory rates Yes. Uh, so he can go back to his present. Yes. Yeah. He's saying that basically any virus would fall off from then. Well, if that was the case, then nothing would really affect him in any time period he was in. It's kind of the argument they used in the Trial of the Flash. Trial of the Flash, obviously, which takes place right at the end of Barry Allen's series. So we don't want to go into too much detail yeah. about that right now, do we? No, <laughs> but it is it's an argument that's used there. And basically, it was debunked there. So I won't go any further into that. <laughs> okay. And also the bit about the skeletons and Sargon sort of sprucing it up a bit. Now, who's to say he didn't use magic to put it back in time or revert it 20 years or however many years from Flash's demise back to that time period, in which case the bones would heal? That's the impression I got reading the story was that he'd yeah. ruthified it to make it mm -hmm. seem as if Barry had, had just died. It's not like he just got out the polish and, you know, polished up the ribs or anything like that, yeah. Maybe the letter writer didn't grasp that aspect of it. That's certainly our takeaway from it, but obviously, you know, Randy yeah. Lee had a, had a different point of view. Uh -huh. So, see, so, yeah. Interesting. Also, his final point about the reverse flash and his theft through time. Yeah, that's. I thought that was actually quite an interesting point. It, may, it does make some sense. I mean... Mm -hmm. Basically, Barry could have returned everything back straight away from the point at which they were stolen, in which case uh, yes. no one would know. That's probably the easiest sort of explanation for it, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when, you, when time travel's involved, you know, it's pretty easy to, to do that if both characters can travel in time to virtually any time and place that they don't already exist. So I think that's probably what's the most logical explanation. Listeners, if you can think of another explanation, <laughs> write in and let us know. Right in and let us know last May. Yes. That'd be great. <laughs> so, that we've, we're able to read out your correspondence now as we record the episode. No one wrote in, so that means that no one had any ideas. That's a shame. Oh, well. Peter, if anyone did want to write to the podcast, what's their best way of doing it? You can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media because we'll be posting up some lovely bonus content for this and every episode. Mm -hmm. On Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth 2 Podcast, and on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore Earth 2. If you're feeling kind and benevolent, you could go to wherever it is you find your podcast and rate and review us positively. That'd be lovely. If you're feeling even more generous, you can go to our coffee page and buy the price of a beverage. Special thanks to people at Wayne Burroughs and Chris Lydon and Ryan Smith, who without fail give us their support on Twitter. Thanks to Max from the Weird Warriors for his regular shout-outs, and thanks to Ross from Stop Let's Team Up for his regular shout-outs as well. It's much appreciated. And also like to thank David Clyde and Paul Keane for their interaction with us on Facebook as well. So thank you guys. Tremendous. So on that bombshell, I've been Peter. 
He has been Peter. I've been David. Thanks for joining us. We're going to zoom off and commit crimes through time and space for some reason. Again. Yeah. We'll see you next time on... The Earth, the Earth 2, 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. This is actually a better Wentworth Miller voice than I've ever done before. Just virtue of <laughs> the fact I'm not trying to be Wentworth Miller. <laughs>